You are listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more. Um, Our reading for today is from Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 to 9. In your church Bibles, that's page 83. Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me, from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. Goat hair, ramskins dyed red, and another type of durable leather. Acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then let them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome, my name's Chris. I'm on the staff team here. Let's, let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, awesome and mighty God, as we come to your word, prepare our hearts to hear you speaking. We pray that you would plant your word deep inside us. Help us with all the distractions and worries that we come with today to listen and obey you, our Heavenly Father. Make Jesus known to us through the Holy Spirit as we open your word together. In your Son's precious name we pray. Amen. Now, do you sometimes look around and just think, what I'm doing with life is second best? Or you look at other people and think they've got it better than you? You come to church here and you look around and go, is this it? On this journey in life, do you sometimes think, Christian journey, the world's got it better, I'll do a bit of that, and then I'll do my Christian walk as well on the side. Well, if you think like that, these verses are for you. Let's have a look at them. Coming up is one of God's biggest visual aids. A 3D immersive sermon experience is at least going to be attempted this afternoon. Visual aids coming from God himself. So, Story so far, it's series two, episode two of Exodus. And as all good series go, we need a brief recap. So, God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, promising he'd take them to the promised land. He made it possible for them to cross the Red Sea. They walked for three months to get to Mount Sinai. They kept grumbling. God kept providing manna, quail, water from a rock. They got to Mount Sinai and worshipped God there. Remember, they worshipped him before they got to the promised land, worshipping whilst waiting, WWW. We've had the Ten Commandments and the law. Now we come to today's passage. They're still living in tents in the desert at the foot of Mount Sinai. They are not at the promised land yet. Moses has just gone up the mountain for the fifth time to meet with Yahweh. He's 
what is he going to come back with this time? So he comes back down the mountain, and Moses has a long list of meticulous building instructions. The detailed instructions, if you open up your... You'll do well in this sermon to keep your Bible open. Detailed instructions start at chapter 25, verse 10. Got the ark, acia wood, two and a half cubits long. You jump, you've got the, ta- the table of verse 23, acia wood, cubits overlaying it, cubits of this, cubits of that, gold. Lampstand made of flower cups, buds, blossoms, various aspects of gold, various dimensions. Carries on. Got a tabernacle, a chapter of that. We'll come to that in, in, in time. Then first uh, chapter 27, burnt offering area, the courtyard, how big that is. Details of the oil on the lampstand. That's three chapters of meticulous details. Don't worry, if you think that's all over, there's more. Chapter 35, more details about how that goes and some people to build it. 36, 37, 38, who did what and what aspects were required then. End of 39 and chapter 40, you've got some more. Nine chapters of detailed building instructions, and who did what. Now, I hear you ask, what's all this about? And is Chris going to cover nine chapters of detailed building instructions? I mean, we didn't bring food, never mind a refreshment break, we're going to need an interval or two if we go that sort of side. Or, did Matt and Ralph hear about my DIY skills? You know, when you, when you talk about people building a shelf or a, a cabinet or something and it falls over straight away, I'd see that as a good thing. It was standing for a period of time if it fell. So were they just trying to stretch my practical skills? Well, no to all of those. I think you'd be pleased to know. Before we look at the meaning of these things, we need to have really good the picture and dimensions, colour and materials. And that's why we're sat in a slightly different orientation today. We have got ourselves into a picture of the tabernacle. And thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be here when we've got the baptisms of Greg and Mercy, and you've also helped with the visual aids. So, you notice that we don't have a central aisle, we've got a central section. That is measured out, so for the guys up there, uh, from here all the way over to here. That's the width of the tabernacle. Up here in the courtyard where I am would have been the bronze altar. Where the baptismal pool is, where you'd have to wash to get clean before going into the tabernacle was the bronze wash basin. Then where the blue tarpaulin starts, just in front of row one here, is where the tabernacle would have started. And we've gone all the way down there. Now, we have had a, a slight measurement issue. We can't go back far enough for the Holy of Holies, so we sort of transported the Holy of Holies upwards. It's, it would have been flat, yeah? So you guys up there, you're actually in the Holy of Holies, but only if you're inside there, so if you're in the first four chairs on that side, yeah, you're just outside. I know you're trying to get in, but that side. And then over on this side, if you're in the next four, there we go, you're just... You're up there, six rows up. That's the, that's the size that it would have been for you. Around about where Chloe is, 
wearing a nice gold top would have been the gold lampstand. Well done. Yeah. Okay. And around about where Dana is would have been the gold table of bread. Lovely. So it's just over there. Now, where would the altar have been? Now, we couldn't have quite... We measured it out, and it's actually accurate. Back table of tech is where the altar would have been. Then if we port ourselves up, upstairs, round out at the back over there, if you give us a wave, Remy, yeah, you're about where the Ark of the Covenant would have been, roughly speaking. Yeah? Dimensions-wise, that's how big it is. But it's got a height to it. So if you're downstairs, if you look around at the balcony, you see there's two... Um, metal rails. The middle rail is the height that the tabernacle would have been. So in this section up to there. If you're at the top, we tried to measure this as well, it's to the top of the white post on the front here, so all the way back there, if you're actually on the first row. That's the sort of size that we are talking about. The whole structure had pillars going all around it. All the way around this section would have been 48 different pillars, the height that I've just said, all covered in gold. The base was silver. 64 posts round the courtyard and five pillars at the, at the court. I'll come to the courtyard in a moment. Five pillars at the front in gold, all the way along where the music team are. Not quite three metres tall, are you? But that sort of size of things. Visually... This is a representation, quite accurate representation of what it would have looked like. All of the elements inside would have been covered in gold. The total weight of gold is about 130 kilos. That's about 6.5 million pounds worth of gold in today's money. There's also 400 kilograms of silver and 300 kilograms of bronze. There's 65 meters of curtain going around here that are embroidered in blue and um, gold. It would have looked beautiful. It would have been a five senses experience for the Israelites. Outside, there's the courtyard. It's 250 meters of blue curtains. It's, the actual width was 75 feet. So where you are having tea and coffee, that end would be one side, and sort of through the next door and through the um, wall would be the other. And then it's double the length. We couldn't possibly quite get the measuring tape out that far. And remember, there's no Amazon delivery service for all of this to come through. Where would the materials have come from? Well, Exodus chapter 25, 35 to 36 tells us, Moses instructed the Israelites to ask the Egyptians for gold, silver, and clothing, and the Lord made the Egyptians favorable to the request so they plundered them. They had them, this material, with them. But also remember, there's no dial of trade available. All the work needs to be done by them. So this is what's produced from the nine chapters of detail. God's people doing God's work as a community together, following his plan, following him as they journey to the promised land. And as we're sat here in the sort of picture of the tabernacle, we should remember 
The tabernacle, like the Garden of Eden, is where God dwells. And various details of the tabernacle suggest it's a mini Eden. These parallels include the east-facing entrance with the cherubim on the curtains into the Holy of Holies. But these cherubim can now be passed. The gold, the onyx, the tree of life as depicted by the gold lampstand. Or the tree of knowledge as the law in the Ark of the Covenant. Thus God dwelling in the tabernacle was a step towards the restoration of paradise, which is completed in the new heaven and new earth. Access to God dwelling with his people has been resumed by God. Looking at the tabernacle, it was beautiful. Imagine it around you. It would have been amazing. God's creation plan and design is amazing. Just use your imagination for a moment and sit yourself in it. If you're on the sides, imagine looking at it. What would it have been like? Now look around us here. And I ask you, is this second best? I don't mean the building. I mean God's people. God is building his church. God's plan and design for his church is that we, God's people, grow in grace together. It's a community project, and it is beautiful. Not to just look at and observe, but to experience and enjoy if you look around today on this Sunday and any given Sunday, you will see service for God happening around you. People putting themselves out. Welcome team, coming early. They, perhaps that person wanted to be doing something different today, but they're joyfully welcoming people. The sound desk at the back here really early to get everything done so you can hear the songs and the sermon. Willingly serving the hospitality team, the kids team, the tots team, many other team coming together. The person sat quietly on their own, wasn't sure whether they could be able to cope with coming in today, but they did. The person who notices this and later speaks to them and comforts them. Or the godly encourager. This is all God's grace at work. It is beautiful. It is to be experienced and enjoyed. It is even more beautiful than gold and blue curtains. It's more valuable than six and a half million pounds of gold. This is because this beauty lasts. It is eternal kingdom building beauty. Looking with eternal gospel eyes, listening with gospel ears, you will notice God building his church here in Central Hall. It is truly beautiful because it is God's creation and God's plan. God dwells in us, so come. Back to the Israelites in the desert. Why, why would God come up with a tabernacle? Chapter 25, verse 8 tells us why. 
Make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among you. Notice that this is God's idea. He came up with it. He even gave Moses a visual plan. I don't know if that's the first ever PowerPoint or something that was up on the screen, but Moses saw what it was supposed to look like. Let's just pause for a moment and take it in. God says, make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among you. God, the holy, all-powerful God. God who said to the Israelites, if you touch this mountain, you will die because you are not holy and I am holy. This same God says to the people, I will dwell with you. God chooses the grumbling, forgetful, unclean, sinful, dust-covered, tired, nothing particularly special about them, Israelites, calls with his people and wants to live amongst them. The God who made the whole earth, who mankind rejected, this God wants to live with his people in a tent. I mean, it took nine chapters to describe the tent, but it's still a tent. He's got the whole of heaven and earth to reside in. And he chooses to be in a tent in a desert with a people who keep forgetting him. Now remember, this is true for us today. God's people are now those who are Christians, who trust that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to rescue us from our sins. God chooses the grumbling, forgetful, unclean, sin, dust-covered, nothing particularly special about us, Christians, calls them his people and wants to live amongst us. This same is true of God, this side of the cross. God moves towards us. God chooses. He wants to be with us. Like in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, where he promises the Israelites, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. They did nothing to make it happen. God did it all. We do nothing to save us. Jesus does it all. All you need to be saved is to trust in your heart and say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. We heard those testimonies from Greg and Mercy earlier. God came from heaven to earth in a tent for the Israelites. God came in heaven to earth in a baby in a manger for anyone who will hear his call to come and follow him. That is amazing. Just pause, drink that in. God wants to be with you, live with you, dwell with you. He is coming towards you with open arms saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you true, eternal rest. You may feel or be ignored, isolated, or alone, or even shunned by people, or maybe you're new here, new to church, or just looking in. A city can be a lonely place, lots of people, but no meaningful relationships. Maybe you feel that you're too bad and the things you've done mean you could never be loved by God. This passage turns all that on its head and tells us that God, 
God the maker of all things. God, God of love, who knows all things, sees all things. He knows what you have or have not done. This God wants to dwell with you. Let me say that again. God wants to dwell with you. That's amazing. That's something to rejoice in. We had a moment, didn't we, when the, um, Greg and Mercy were baptised, and we're like, yeah, that's the feeling we should be having here. He stands at your door and knocks. All you need to do is open the door and welcome him in. The picture of the tabernacle is God's plan to dwell with his people. This dwelling plan, whilst already mind-blowing, is taken further through Jesus. Jesus referred to the new temple or tabernacle, John chapter 2, verse 19. When talking about himself, he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. He's referring to himself dying and being raised in three day days. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In the original, it's the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst his people. The picture of the tabernacle is God dwelling with his people. In the Gospels, the tabernacle has moved from a tent to Jesus, as that is where God was dwelling amongst his people. The dwelling plan is taken even further. Through Jesus' death on the cross, resurrection and ascension into heaven, now we have no Jesus, tabernacle's gone, tent and temple long gone. Where's God going to be dwelling with his people? Is he still interested? Well, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? By the Holy Spirit residing in God's people, God dwells in Christians through his Holy Spirit. So we are where God dwells with his people. We are now the tabernacle. God's people are God's holy dwelling place. We Christians are now where God dwells. There's both singular and plural in this. The you in 1 Corinthians is plural. God's people are God's dwelling place. This means that church is more than special to God. Not only is church the body of Christ on earth, it is the dwelling place of God on earth. The tabernacle was and is a place of worship, a place of giving God praise and acknowledging that he alone is worthy. This is why we go to church on a Sunday. And as Guthrie said, when the saints of God meet on Sundays, they, like the Israelites before them, are worshipping God in holy time and space. It is holy time because it's a day set apart from the rest of the week. It is holy space as we gather together in a geographical space dedicated to the worship of God. The building itself does not matter. It is the gathered people of God that does. There is something holy about Christians physically meeting together at an appointed time and place each week. 
I ask you, is your view of church too low? Do you sometimes think church is second best? If at times you personally don't feel like coming here on a Sunday, perhaps you're choosing between an offer of a weekend trip or a day trip somewhere. Are you feeling really tired and need to save yourself for the week ahead? I know there are times when it's impossible to come, but there are other times when it's a choice. Remember this when you choose. Coming to church is not about programs, meeting people, singing, or even hearing a sermon. It's where heaven and earth meet. God's people meeting together to worship God in time and place. Sunday is a divinely appointed foretaste of eternity, where all time and space will be completely and tangibly under God's rule. We go to church not to look good or to be noticed, but because it shapes us into the people of God. For that we need everyone present, none left behind. You may not feel like coming, but as a body of Christ, we need you here. And you need God's people to help shape you. Going to church is also a testimony to the chaotic world around us. Worshipping together collectively one day in seven is a sign to the world, a sign that there is something other, something higher than the private universes people create for themselves. We bear visible, tangible witness that God's order is not the order of the world. We demonstrate that we follow different rules, God's rules, and in doing so, God is glorified. Just as the tabernacle was a real 3D, we've seen the dimensions, visible picture of God's dwelling with his people, both visible and shaping his people, it was also visible to the whole world. Meeting together in time and place does the same now. We are like a tent in the desert, but a tent that people can see and touch and come into, a tent where God's people meet with God that is open and accessible to those that don't yet know God. To not come and join with God's people on a Sunday should be a little moment of pain. You're missing out on God's plan. We're missing out on part of his body. God is building his church. His people joining together is both claiming and proclaiming his kingdom on earth. God has designed that the full experience of him and the Christian life is done by his people meeting together. There's something divinely special about God's people gathering on Sunday. So come, be here, experience God through his people. Now to the singular and a bit shorter. The Holy Spirit dwells in each individual believer. Having seen the beauty of the tabernacle where God chooses to dwell with his people, where God dwells is a holy place. When we remember that our bodies are God's temple, it puts sinning into a different perspective. Paul effectively in 1 Corinthians 6 says, why do you keep on sinning? How can you possibly think of doing this? 
Don't you know that God himself resides in you? Some things are unthinkable in God's house. Well, we are God's house. So some things should be unthinkable for us. Knowing that God dwells in you in the singular and that God dwells in us, the gathered people, that changes things. And earlier we looked at the dimensions of the tabernacle, didn't we? But here we see that we are the tabernacle. So why have the nine chapters of all the building instructions? Why not just say God wants to dwell with his people, they built him a tent, they obeyed him, and there it was. Is the meticulous detail second best? Well, we see the idea is God's, and it's God's creation and design, but the meticulous detail tells us about God's character. God is meticulous. He has attention to detail. His creation is beautiful. He brings order out of chaos. Now, I think that's really, really comforting. I think it's a really good job that God is meticulous and detailed. I'm one person in 7.9 billion people on the world, and I want God to guide and transform me into more into Christ. Good job he can do detail. Otherwise, we would all be lost in the crowd. Good job he brings order out of chaos as he's making his people who are all sinners and chaotic into something beautiful and ordered as we become more like Christ. The picture of Eden is back in view. A beautiful dwelling place where God and mankind dwell together. The picture is of a new creation. Here we have a foretaste of the forever new creation that God has in store, the new heaven and the new earth, where we dwell with him forever, all because Jesus has done everything for us, all because God wants to dwell with us, his people. There's another important detail to notice if you look down chapter 25, verse 2. Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. God wants a heart response from his people. Willingly, his people follow him. Willingly, it costs them. If you look at the next verses, it costs them gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, fine linen. The list goes on. It's real cost to real people. It's personal security that they are giving up. The values that they had are their financial security, their rainy day money or pension pot. Remember, they're in the desert. There's no income from outside of themselves. Following God's commands cost them their financial security, and they willingly gave it to him. Are you willing to do the same? I'm not saying give everything you have away. What we should have is the attitude of everything is the Lord's. He gives it to us, and we should see it as his. Our security should be in him, not our stuff. We've just had three sermons on money, so listen to those if you want more on this. Yet there is something more personal than the financial security that they gave up. They gave their identity to God. These valuables show that they are free and not slaves in, Europe, in, in Egypt. Free, God who freed them. The gold necklace on the, on the neck, the silver candlestick, the bronze bowl, all depicting their freedom. 
Now, God is calling these freed people to be his people, to belong to him in their security and their identity. Christian, you, your identity and personality belong to God. Listen carefully. We were created individually. We're all different. This is why we have the Bible teaching of one body and many parts. But how often do you hear, I am an extrovert, introvert, or my personality is, and then insert something, which then ends up explaining why the person must do X, Y, or Z to fulfill their identity. Coming back to the Bible, each different part is playing its part for a whole. The difference is good. It is, however, for a common God-ordained purpose, building his kingdom. However, identity is often given as an excuse for doing something that's actually selfish rather than building God's kingdom. Maybe it's best to do an explanation. Maybe you see your identity as a fun person, always going off and doing something spontaneous. Maybe it's an exciting trip to the lakes on a glorious, sunny Sunday. Do you follow your self-defined identity and jump at the exciting chance? Or do you follow God's ordained plan of meeting with other Christians on a Sunday? Remembering that God wants you to willingly come to church. You're God's child. That is now your identity. God wants your heart. He wants you to be building his kingdom together with, in community with his people. Back to the Israelites. They also worked hard and used their individual, and remember, God-given skills, gifts, talents for the Lord's work as a community. We have seen how big and complicated some of the aspects of the tabernacle were. This was a massive community project. Shoulder to shoulder, they willingly gave their money, their time, their skills, their identities to God and to each other. We, like the Israelites, know that God is after our hearts. So we willingly give to him what he's already given to us. All that we have, skills, money, talent, finance, are all from God. Let us use them for his kingdom. Is living your life for Jesus costly? Or do you think that living for Jesus is second best? Living for Jesus may cost you your secure job, your family home, your church of many years, your network of people that know you. You may have to work hard to get to know a new place and a new culture to live in. You may get lost around the new city. You may play football and rupture your Achilles tendon. You may be further from your in-laws who are getting older and one of them have a cardiac arrest on your first day as pastor. It may cost you your identity as the decision maker, the expert, the problem solver. The influence in worldly terms may go. All this is costly in your security and identity. I know this well, because all the things I've just described are from my last year since joining this church. However, I testify to you today that God dwelling with me and me being willing to obey God is worth far more than what I've given up. First, remember, eternal kingdom-building choices are treasures in heaven forever, and that can never be second best. 
In the last year, God has worked on my heart. The Lord has removed the idol of our old family home, even though I didn't realise it was an idol before he removed it. The Lord has shown me more what it means in my identity of being in Christ by taking away secondary identities, like being a consultant psychiatrist and the salary that goes with that. He is humbling me, helping me to be more servant-hearted. Because I'm a pastor in training, I have the privilege of digging deeper into God's Word during my work hours to prepare for sermons, Bible studies, and equip chats, which is a privilege and a joy. Remember, anything we give up is far less than we have received, continue to receive, and will receive in Jesus. He drew close to us. He gave up all of heaven. He came to earth. He died on the cross. He rose again because he wanted to dwell in us, his church, and in us individually through his Holy Spirit. God, the maker of all things, the Almighty, wants to draw near to you. He wants to dwell in us, his church, here. That's not second best. We may still be worshipping whilst waiting, as we're not in the promised land yet. But to gather together here as city church, in person, each Sunday, to claim and proclaim his rule on our lives, and like a tent in the Manchester desert, visibly proclaim God's kingdom to the world, to those who do not yet know him. Whatever God has gifted you, whatever talents he has given you, do them for him. Do them here in the place he has called you to. Do them with his people here at City Church. Now that is the best thing that you can be doing. Doing what God has called you to do in the place he's called you to do it with his people placed, he has placed around you. Whether that's looking after children, trying to find a job, going to school, working for a company, trying to recover from illness, being a student, retired, whatever it is, there is nothing second best about this. In fact, there is nothing at all better that you could be doing with your life. Now let us together and willingly serve and worship the God who wants to dwell with us. I was going to pray. Father, we are amazed that you would want to dwell with us, but we thank you that you want to dwell with us. We marvel at that. And Lord, help us as you transform us into your body to bring you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.